a church in the valley. Like Matt mentioned, we're uh, in the middle of a series that we launched last week uh, called Recovering the Image. And we've been looking at God's design for the family, God's design for manhood, and God's design for womanhood. And we base this basically on how God has wired uh, us to work as humans and how he has put us together to really accomplish his purposes and his will on the earth. And last week, uh, if you weren't here, we actually dug in kind of the first description of the family unit from Genesis chapter one. And as you read the beginning of scripture, you find uh, really this is how God created the world. This is how God made humans. And then he charged them with this is how they should operate based on how he's made them. And in Genesis 1:27. Uh, we talked about last week uh, the idea that God created man in his own image and in the image God created him, male and female, he created them. And there's this really this level and this value of humanity that we have based on the fact that we're made in God's image that separates us from everything else that God has created. And we talked about last week the importance of the male and female unit and how they are actually put together like two puzzle pieces that God wants to marry, commit to each other, and to really live life in a way that they can raise godly offspring. And this is really the design that, that God has. And that's the family unit that, that God has kind of given to allow his ways to spread throughout the world. And so today we're actually going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a man. And if you're here this morning and you're a man, this is going to relate directly to you. And if you're a woman, it begs the question, can I take a nap for the rest of this service? And the answer is you can, but if you snore, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you are a woman in all reality, this can actually be a help to you as well, because for all intents and purposes, you are relating to men, I'm sure on a daily basis. And if you have kids and you have a boy, this will help. If you have a husband, if you have male coworkers, if you have any one of the male species, uh, this can provide some clarity as to why do guys do what they do. And if you are a guy this morning, this may provide some like, oh, that's why I do what I do. And so we're really here to celebrate the fact that God made men, celebrate the fact that God made women, and actually look into the scriptures and take the look at what is it that that means. Uh, not necessarily what we've decided ourselves, not necessarily what our culture says, not even what our experience is, but what does actually the scripture say about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. So next week we're going to wrap up the series talking about womanhood. And today we're going to talk about what it means to, to be a man. So I hope this is a, a help to you. Uh, like I mentioned, we're looking kind of at the beginning of the image and the idea of image is uh, we want as much clarity as possible. We want to know exactly why God has made us, because once we have clarity, that actually gives us purpose for life. And without clarity, things are fuzzy and things are confusing and it's difficult to know how to move forward. It's like driving in a fog. If you're driving on a fog on a, a windy road, uh, you're going very slow because you don't want to launch off the road down a mountain peak. And so in the fog, you're slowed and you're labored by this obstacle that you have. And the same is true in life. If things aren't clear on who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act, it's like we're moving through this fog where we can't really accelerate. We can't get to the places that we need to get. And in fact, we can't really be the people that God wants us 
to be. And so this idea of recovering the image, it's we want to provide as much clarity as possible based on what God has said in the scriptures. And from that picture, clarity comes and from clarity, we can find purpose. And in our culture today, uh, there's many different views of what it means to be a man. One of my favorite phrases that exists is you, the man. You heard that phrase? You are the man. And there's something about like when that's said, it's like, yes, you are the man. And, and then I started thinking, well, what, what's behind that phrase? When people say it, what's behind that phrase? And I realized it's very interesting. Most of the time, you are the man is based on some sort of an accomplishment that is made. Like if you're in sports and you're an athlete and you do something really well, you are the man because you, you scored a goal, you made a basket. Oftentimes, you're not the man because you tried hard, right? You're the man because you like whooped on somebody. You're the man. That's right. I'm the man. Or you're the man because you pull up in this brand spanking new car. That all the other guys are like, you are the man because that's awesome. You're usually not the man if your car is paid off. Right? You're the man. You're debt free. Doesn't have the same ring. You know, you could put the sticker on your car, don't laugh, it's paid for, but most of the time it doesn't warrant the you're the man statement, right? It, it just doesn't. And there's this thing in culture where there's this idea of man, it's really not who you are, but like what you do, that's what makes you a man. Your success makes you a man. The materials you have makes you a man. Your accomplishments make you a man. And there's this striving that happens when people are claimed, you are the man. There's this thing where then you have this picture of, well, if that's the man, then I need to be the man. And I need to chase after these things as well. And most men don't want to be the guy that's not the man. We all want to be the man. But what you find is, is if you get sucked into really the culture's view of what manhood is, you're actually chasing after something that is, is empty. You're chasing after the wind. You try to get your hands around it, but, but you can't. And so it's very important to get back into how are we made? And again, it really can be found in the first man that God created, and that's Adam. And as you look at really Adam's life and what he was given to, I want to just kind of paint this picture. So if, if God created him in his image... And the first man was Adam. What can we learn about Adam that can help define what a man is? And I want to just give a little bit brief context to even just Adam, his name. Now, the name Adam means ground or like the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not like a warranting you are the man statement. You're the man, Adam. Your name means ground. Now, that, that's even weird, but what it's talking about, it's really kind of represents where he came from, out of the dust God made him. But it also shows his life, what he was giving himself to. He was, he was a farmer. He was going to work the land to produce the crop to provide for his family. And so the very picture of Adam's existence is something that he takes something out of nothing. He works it to produce something that can be fruit. He produces something that can bless his family. And so Adam represents really this way that God has made us as men. It's the idea that we take something that doesn't exist and we want to bring something that can. We want to make something out of nothing. We want to pursue something. We want to achieve. We want to accomplish good. 
And this was the role that Adam played, the first man in history. He worked the land to produce the good frop, crop, not frop. Produce the good crop. That could, I saw the frap, frappuccino. See, I got confused. That could produce the good crop to bless those around him. And when you dig into Genesis, the first three chapters specifically, you find these things. The first, men are made to go out into the world with humble, competent intention to do good. That's really how God made us. To go out to accomplish something in a humble, competent way. To produce something. Just like a farmer would produce the crop. You have to work the soil. You have to labor at it. And as you do, something crops up. Fruit is experienced. The same is true as we want to accomplish something significant. And oftentimes it's even in a resistive, competitive environment. Men, we, we like to compete. We like to make things happen. The other day I was at home and my sons were just like this giddy, excited attitude. And I was like, uh-oh, what, what's going on? Usually it involves water, okay? And flooding of some sort. But this time it didn't. My youngest son, who is two, had roped together two belts. Uh, one that had a metal like clasp on the end and he's like swinging this like yeah this is awesome and then my other son had like these plastic nunchucks and they're in the kitchen like just fighting each other and they're and they're loving it and uh, you know everything in me was like it's going to end well when the belt clasp hits one of them on the head or me and the other part was like yes (laughs) this is what separates men from women Right? Women, ah, drop the weapons, hug it out. (laughs) Men, hit each other, then hug it out. There's something about that competitive, that just need to just get after things and and just go for it. And and I saw that in my my boys. It just brought them so much joy that they were just able to fight and play with each other. And it wasn't malicious in any way. It's this idea that it was this resistive environment. Now, you know, don't just leave out the ninja stars at home. But it really speaks to this idea that, that men are, are made to actually to go out, to do, to act, to work. This is part of, of, of how a man is made. What tends to happen in today's society is that we don't want to really acknowledge the differences and ce- celebrate them. Because of the fall, because of sin... The template and the image has been tarnished. And so it's very confusing as to what is a real man. It's very confusing as to what is a real woman. And what's happened is because the confusion in exists and because it's not exactly clear, a lot of times what happens is we just lump everyone together. A man isn't necessarily supposed to be a man. A woman isn't necessarily supposed to be a woman. And it's negotiable. The roles are negotiable. And there's no real clear sense of, well, how does this puzzle piece fit with the other puzzle piece? And how does it work together for good? It's really like there are no puzzle pieces. They don't need to fit together. We're the same. But as you dig into the Bible, you realize that that, that's actually not true. And if you've had kids, you actually realize that's not true either. If you've had a male and a female, they're very different. What happens is because of sin, it's tarnished not only the image of how we're supposed to be, but even the image of how we're supposed to relate. 
And so the very things that men bring to the table and the very things that women bring to the table that are supposed to complement each other become the things that they cause arguments, they cause resistance, they cause really problems to exist. This is part of the struggle of relationships. The things that are supposed to work together for good become the things that actually cause us to, to separate, cause us to butt heads. So it's very important. We have to get back to being the people that we're supposed to be, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman. And from there, we actually can be the people that God wants us to be. And so Adam showed us it's, it's to go out, it's to produce, it's to accomplish. It's to achieve, but in a certain way that pleases God. I want to share a one verse from the scripture that sums up what's needed to happen for all men to be the men that God has called us to be. And it's really this idea of we have to grow up. Does any other man kind of cringe when you hear that? Grow up. I, I don't want to. Grow up. No. There's just a part of us that there's just this pull and tension because of sin that it's, it's very difficult for us to grow up, to do the role that a man is supposed to do. There's a pull in all of us where we can remain boys. We can remain children. And Paul in the New Testament, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, is writing about the different roles people play to bless each other. And he's basically saying, if you have all these gifts and you don't have love, it's a waste. If you don't know how to love each other, it doesn't matter all that you can do. It doesn't matter all that you can say. It's a waste. You can't be the people God wants you to be without love. And then he makes this statement that kind of appears out of nowhere, but it's actually full of wisdom. And it's this idea of to be the people we're supposed to be, we, we have to grow up. And specifically, he gears this towards men. And in 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, he basically is describing that men live within God's design when they take initiative and bear responsibility. When you take initiative, instead of being passive, and when you handle responsibilities instead of letting them go, you are being the man God wants you to be. Basically, Paul is saying, that's when God says, you are the man. You bear responsibility and you take initiative. And this is what he says. And it's very simple and it makes sense, but it's actually profound at the same time. First Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So in the context, he's basically saying for you to love people the way God wants you to love them, you can no longer act like children. And he gives the different ways, the reasoning, the thinking, the speaking. You can't do that anymore. To really love the way God wants you to, you have to grow up. And specifically to the men, he's saying you have to leave your boyhood ways of relating. You have to leave your boyhood ways of acting, of thinking, of feeling. And you have to be men. 
And as you leave those things and as you grow up out of those things, you live within God's design. And so I began thinking to myself, well, what is this boy type thinking or feeling or reasoning? And then the good thing is I go home and I have a two-year-old. So I began to think to myself, my son who is two, he's a child. He's not a man. He's a boy. What are the ways that, that he speaks? First off, he doesn't speak all that great. But Paul's not talking about that. He's not saying you should have an eloquence of a man. He's really saying when a child speaks, what's really on their mind? What are they concerned with? And for the most of the time, my two-year-old, when he speaks, he's thinking about what he wants. Right? Snack. Maybe a knack. Same thing as a snack, I learned. He has kind of these demands. And the goal of a parent is you want your two-year-old to not act like that when they're 22 years old. This is the idea of I'm just speaking and I'm speaking out of what I really want. And there's demands and there's kind of this list. This is all that I need to be okay in the moment. As long as I have these things, I'm good. And so it's, it's, it's self-centered. Children, for the most part, are going to be more self-centered. The world revolves around them. And then I thought, well, well thinking... How do, how do children think? Many times, children are thinking, it's all about me. That's the primary filter. They're not thinking, you know, how can I bless my parents this morning? What would make mom and dad happy? Right? I don't think that. The opposite. Mom and dad, wake up. Because you have to make me happy. Right? That's how a child thinks. And then reasoning. Now, child reasoning is actually very interesting. And if you've hung around kids, especially young kids, when you see them draw conclusions, and in their mind it's amazing, but you're thinking, that is so way off that it's humorous. And if I have time, I'll post it on Facebook. (laughs) Hope they don't read it when they're older. Right? Right? But a childish reasoning, it it actually makes no sense. Because a child reasons in a certain way that if I get what I want and everything goes my way and everybody does what I want, then life's going to go well. That's their reason. The very thing that they want, the very thing that they demand, actually becomes the thing that will not bless them. It hurts them. And that's where parents are involved. That's why you train. You realize if you're the center of the universe, you'll be the only person in your universe No one will want to relate to you. But a child doesn't reason like that. They think their way is the best way. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, you have to leave this way of thinking. And specifically to men, he's saying, if you want the world to be about you with your demands and what you want, and you want the people in your life, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your kids, whether that's your coworkers, whoever it is, if you want them to make you happy, if you want them to meet your demands, your life will not go well. In fact, you will not experience the love that you so desperately want. You won't experience that. You won't experience the achievement that you want because it doesn't work by wanting just to do things your own way. And so he's saying, you have to grow up. For you to fulfill God's design, you have to grow up. You have to leave this. 
And he describes it by you give it up. So growing up means giving up. I give up the childish way of thinking. And it plays out in various ways. And we all actually battle with that still as adults. When something doesn't go your way at the office, there's a part where you're just like, it's supposed to go my way. And you battle that. Like, why didn't they do it? Because that would have helped me. So it's still a battle because of sin. But it's something that we actually have to move towards to experience the blessing God has. And specifically for men, you can only bear responsibility as you grow up. Think about it. A child can't handle that much responsibility. Now, oftentimes they can handle more than we think they can. But a child cannot run the family. A child cannot leave and provide for the family. A child cannot train the other kids, although the oldest may want to do that. They can't play that role. And so there's a level of responsibility that children have. There's a level of responsibility that adults have. There's a level of responsibility that even men have. And to bear the responsibility and take initiative that God wants us to, as men specifically, means we have to move beyond the capacity and the framework and the perspective of a child. And we have to grow up. I want to spend the rest of the message talking about, well, as we give up this childish ways, then how do we actually act in line with what a man is supposed to do and how a man is supposed to be? And as you dig into the scriptures, what you find is the measure of a man is very different than oftentimes what is native to us. And it's actually very different than our own experiences. And in Scripture, it's actually based on the character of who you are. That's what makes a man. Who you are. How you treat people. How you relate to those around you. How you are a blessing to those around you. You still bear responsibility and you still take initiative, but you do it in a certain way. And Paul, the same guy who I just read about growing up, gives a description of what it means to be a man. And he's talking to two groups uh, in the book of Titus. He's talking to older men and younger men. And just a little context, Titus has been somebody that's been learning from Paul. Paul started a lot of churches and he had lots of apprentices and people under him where he was teaching. Here, we're starting this church and here's a group of people and they're trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. They're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus as they work, how they follow Jesus as they relate to each other, how they follow Jesus in their family life. And so oftentimes in the New Testament, you see instruction after instruction on this is how you're supposed to relate. And so he had this guy, Titus, who was going to take over for him and he was going to leave and he would have this church that he was going to have to tell people this is the way we're supposed to be. And Paul realized that he really needed to know specifically of how to help the men and women play the roles that God wants them to play. So he starts by, this is how you need to help the older men, and this is how you need to help the younger men. So he's given this map of, this is how you show them how to grow up and how to give up their childish ways to be the men God wants them to be. And he says this in Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, he's talking to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What he's saying is, when you teach, teach them what the Bible has to say. 
Don't teach fads. Don't teach your opinion. What's going to resonate with these men, what's going to resonate with this church, what's going to resonate with these people is give them the truth. Give them God's design for how reality is. That's going to be the thing that guides them. What is fitting. Give them what's fitting with sound doctrine that lines up with the truth. And then he says in verse 2, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, real quick, have you ever heard somebody, You are the man, O sober-minded one. Right? When was the last movie you saw where the picture of a man and what was highlighted was his faith or his self-control? Let's face it. We want people that blow things up. If you're a guy, like, let's blow something up. Now, that's the other side of we want to accomplish something. But the scripture is saying, well, you actually have to do things in a certain way. And that's based on who you are. And who you are is based on the character that God wants to grow in you. And so the beautiful thing is, as we're told to grow up, the Bible is again and again showing us again the image of what that is. Take some of the blurred lines, take some of the fuzziness out of the picture. And here's the picture of what it means to be a man. I just want to walk through some of these character traits because... For me, I, I know it's, it's a challenge. As I was looking at these, it's, it's a challenge. It's calling me forward. This is the person. This is the man that I'm supposed to be. A sober-minded man. This is the idea of you, you've got restraint. You're, you're, temper, you're, you're temperate. There's this idea that you actually have your feelings and your emotions under control. And you want to accomplish something, but you recognize that people are in your life as well, and you don't want to run them over. And you want to do it in a certain way that's not overindulgent, not extravagant. See, guys, we want to accomplish something and we want to achieve. And many times we can just go with just all out, we're going to do it, let's do it together. And we just charge the hill and we just trample the people in the path. Or we just blaze a new trail and we jump off the cliff. A sober-minded man is needed to know, okay, what, what's actually the best way? That blesses the people. It's the best way that blesses my family. I'm not just going to pursue this goal that I really want. How does it impact those around me? The sober-minded man considers this. Sober-minded man also is, you don't crumble and give up when the pressure mounts. The lows aren't the worst lows. The highs aren't the best highs. There's this, there's this idea that you're, you're steady. You're not overly extreme, just acting impulsively. I actually like extremes. I'm kind of an extreme guy. And so when I'm fired up, like, I'm fired up. I want to go do it. The sober-minded man is like, what are you going to do? I don't know, but I'm pumped. How's that going to look? I don't know, but I'm excited. That's not sober-minded. Sober-minded is like, well, how is this going to work? How is the goal actually going to be accomplished? This is every facet of life. In family life, in work life, in relationships. The sober-minded man considers these things. The godly man is also dignified. You're, you're honorable, you're, you're worthy of respect. 
somebody that's dignified, also they value people. They have a firm grip on reality. They screen what they say, their ideas. There's a level of of respect that they have. They live a respectable life. That's what it means to be dignified. Self-controlled. It's exercising restraint over your impulses, your emotions, your desires. Men usually struggle with this because, again, we want to achieve and we want to accomplish. And when we get pumped up, self-control can sometimes go out of the window. I think like all-you-can-eat buffets were designed for men. Just saying. That one's free of charge right there. The, the men that God's talking about here, that Paul's painting this picture of, is sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Uh, really, the idea of a, a man of faith is somebody that you, you take God seriously. You know he's going to come through, even when you're not sure how it's going to happen. That's what a, a man is supposed to be. God's going to come through. I will trust in him. You want to love God. You want to love people. What you do is going to consider that. How can I love God and how can I love people in this situation? And then steadfastness. Again, it's that steadiness. So you get this picture. of This is somebody that you can rely upon. This is somebody that as you want to do something with them, whether it's a task, whether it's a project, whether it's life, you can run with them and it's actually going to be a blessing. You're not going to be carried away by their impulses, carried away by their emotions, carried away by their craziness. It'll actually be a blessing to relate to them. This is the picture of a man. And he's speaking to the older men. And this idea of steadfastness is you hang in there for the rest of your life. This faith that you have, this love that you have, you hang in there. You don't give up. And so he's basically saying, older men, don't check out. You may feel like you've paid your dues, but don't check out. And that's why he's addressing the older and the younger. Because he wants the older men to see the younger men as the people, as these young men that they can raise up. These are the people that you can train. And older men can give themselves to that. And they can raise the next generation of men. That's what Paul's saying. This is the future. This is the hope. The older men raise the next generation of the younger men. Of these character traits. And I was thinking through, okay, well, what, what have older men done historically? And you find that there's actually a lot of accounts in Scripture of older men that have done stuff like today you think is crazy. Like even Moses, there's a picture of Moses. Now, when I say there's a picture of Moses, that's from like the Bible series. You're like, wow, that's like really clear, like for a long time ago. <laughs> I just kind of thought that was funny because I get the picture of Moses and you're like, that's awesome. Really? No, it's like an adaptation, but... He's 80. Now, that's like the best 80-year-old I've ever seen. But when, when Moses was given God's charge to take the people out of Egypt, he was 80 years old. 80. I don't know about you, but that's like way beyond retirement. But this is the picture of the older men. You don't know what God's going to have in your path. But if you've given up and you've set kind of a line an age or a stage where you're going to stop doing what God wants you to do, you're going to miss out on a new adventure God has. So Moses from the scripture, and there's lots of other examples. 
There's also a, an example of John Wesley. There's a picture there. He, he was uh, an 18th century English church leader. He was a preacher, a theologian. At the age of 83, he had preached 40,000 sermons. He wrote 200 books. And he wrote in a letter, and this is fascinating. He said, I'm regretting that I'm unable to read and write for more than 15 hours a day. First off, I didn't even think that was like possible. Like he's regretting, I'm, you know, I can only do this for about 15 hours a day. He gave himself to the task that God had given him at 83. After his 86th birthday, he admitted to an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. Now he's British, lie in, it's like sleep in. So I'm, I'm lying in until 5.30. If lying in means when it's still dark, that's not lying in. That's like, there's something you've got to be up for. But this, this is just a different, he had a just different perspective. Now you look at his picture and you're like, yeah, I'm never going to be him. And frankly, you're like, well, I don't think I'm going to be him. That's true. But there's this perspective that Moses had and this perspective that John Wesley had that God's not done with me yet. That's what Paul's saying. You don't know how God's going to use you. And that's the same for young and old. Despite what you've done and despite where you are, you don't know how God's going to use you. But to get ready for this adventure he wants to lead you on because he knows that you're a man and you want to accomplish something, you have to be this kind of person. And you can only be this kind of person not just by being good, but by tapping into the resources of God himself, of his Holy Spirit, that can lead you to be this type of man. You can't do this by a seminar. You can't do this even by hanging out with men who are like this. That can help. But you do this by connecting with God himself. And so Paul is saying, older men, younger men, commit to God and his ways. And this is the kind of man that you can be. Then he goes on and again he says to the younger men, be self-controlled. And the younger you are, the more you think you can accomplish anything you want. And the younger you are, the less wise you are. And oftentimes the things that you want to accomplish make no sense for the life God wants you to live. Right? You ever seen things and you're like, a guy came up with that. And it's crazy and you're thinking, a guy came up with that. I do that all the time. Like, you know there are men in the world because bungee jumping exists. Right? If you bungee jump, God bless you. I'm not saying that's bad. But there's this idea of, you know, we, we'll do all sorts of things. For an adventure and to achieve and accomplish something. But there's this idea of self-control which allows us to align. Okay, well, let's, let's do things in the right way. And let's give our energy to the things that matter. So to, so to summarize, in both these instances, Paul is telling the men these things. You need to grow up. Don't be a boy who thinks like a child, who speaks like a child. Who reasons like a child. Grow up. And then he's saying, use your energy, the way God has made you to achieve something, use it in a way that's going to achieve the right things. That's where the sober-mindedness comes in. Use your energy to accomplish the right things. There are many things where we could use our energy. We could use our power and our strength. 
But the reason this character is so important is because the character is really the guardrails that allow us to do the right things in the right way. That's why character is needed. Because we can do a lot of things, but if we lack the character, it's not going to be done in the right way. And then third is, after you've grown up and you've given your energy to the right things, there's this idea of you don't give up. So you grow up, you use your energy for the right things, and then don't give up. That's why you need self-control. Without self-control, what you're faced, you, you don't know what to do. You may go in the wrong direction for years of your life. And as you've realized you've gone this way for years and years and years, you end up on this path. And you look back and you, there's no way I can get back on track and you give up. And so there's really two sides of the struggle for men, which Paul is trying to address. And he's saying there's this part of men that God, the way God has made us, we want to use our energy and we have to focus it on the right things. And then there's the other part that because of a variety of reasons, we actually we become passive and we don't want to use our energy for anything. And he's saying all these character traits are needed so that you launch yourself to the right things and ultimately you don't give up. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but when I do what I'm supposed to do and I handle my responsibilities well, when I treat my wife in a certain way and when I'm training my kids in a certain way, and I'm not doing it perfect, but I'm doing what God's given me and I work hard and I get up and I get out of bed and I take care of the things he's given me to do, there's a part in which I, I really do have purpose and meaning. Even in the mundane, even in the chores. Because if the chore is my responsibility and I take the initiative to do it, I'm pleasing God. So we look oftentimes, we want to be this grand adventurer that has her own ship on the seas. Okay, maybe that's just me, but I picture myself like that sometimes. But oftentimes, we are grand. Not because of what we do, but we're grand because we're in the image God has made us when we are these people, are these men that live this way, that use our energy for good, that grow up, take initiative, bear responsibility, and we don't give up. So if you're hanging in there in your relationships that you're in, if you're hanging in there at your work and it's a grind, if you're hanging in there and you're engaging the people God's given you in your life, and you're hanging in there, and you're still doing what God's given you to do, you are the man. And that pleases the Lord God. And I want to encourage you, if you are faithful over time, God will take your faithfulness, and He will accomplish through you things that you could not do on your own. And we all have a picture of what we want to become, or who we want to be. But if the scriptures are real, and I believe they are, if we do what God wants us to do, what we have right now, we are the man. And we'll bless the people God has given us in our life. So I want to encourage you, hang in there. Use your energy for good. And don't give up. From that, you'll experience life like you never have. It may not be as grand as you thought, 
But pleasing God is way more important than any adventure we embark on off the path that God has for us. And that's God's design for manhood. To be the men He's called us to be that act in a certain way and then go after the right things. Now, if you want to let, let out a little growl right now, you can. Okay. I just felt it a little bit, but it didn't come out. Um, just a, a, a quick example. Uh, in, in my relationship with my, my middle son, um, Levi, or my middle child, I should say, he's, he's five. And this last year, I've been teaching Levi to get dominion. Part of, in Genesis, he tells Adam, you know, I want you to subdue the earth, which is the side of get dominion over it, work the soil, you know, kill the animals and eat them. We haven't done that at our house yet, but if you guys are freaking out, like what on earth? But I have tried to teach him, like there's a part of life which there's, there's weeds that grow outside in the yard. And there's weeds because of sin and things are messed up. There weren't weeds. Now there are. And a part of a man is we've got to get dominion over stuff. And part of that is you've got to pull the weeds. And so I've been teaching Levi, okay, this is, this is part of our life. We have to be men and handle responsibilities and just pull the weeds, mow the lawn, do all that stuff. And there's times as I've taught him this stuff, he's so, you know, he's fired up. He's pushing a lawnmower and he can't see over it, but it's got gas and it makes noise. And so it's awesome, right? And he's pushing that. And then he gets to the point where he's like, all right, dad, I'm going to play on your phone and I'll let you finish. I was like, you know, that makes complete sense. Like, it's hot. And I kind of like to play on the phone as well. But in that instant, what I realized is that's, that's the battle. We see what we're supposed to do in this case, just even doing the yard work. There's a part of us where we just we want to kind of have fun. We want to play on the phone. And so I let him have his break. He's five. I'm not into like child law, labor laws or anything, but gave him his break. But then there's a part of it where I had to call him back forward. You know, buddy, we can, we can finish this. Let's finish this together. Okay, dad. All right, dad. That means you have to put down the phone, buddy. Okay, dad. <laughs> and it's just a process. But he got to the point where he, he, he did it. And what I realized is that is him learning to be a man. It's just doing things that you need to do when you don't want to do it. It's part of being a man. And so I want to encourage you, as you relate to the younger men, whether it's your children or whether it's younger men in the church, think about how you can encourage them to do the things that God has them to do. And specifically as guys, when we draw out the things that we appreciate and admire, what is it that we're complimenting? We really want to draw out the things that please God, not just accomplishments, not just they're good at sports. What's their attitude? How they treat people? How did they work? And as we do this, the young men, the boys even, get a picture of what a real man is. And that's our duty before God. We have to train the younger men to know what it is to be a real man. So I just want to encourage you. It begins with being the man and then training the younger ones to do the same.
Now, women, you can wake up right now if you've been asleep. Next week, you get to hear more about God's design for womanhood. As I close, I want to just to walk through a couple uh, next steps. And each week, we really try to design the messages in a way that's practical. Where you can leave here with an idea of, here's what I can do differently. Here's how I can think differently. Here's how I can act differently. And so these next steps are, are designed to do just that. The, the first one is, maybe you just want to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Maybe it's just a thing just to remind you each day. God, help me to give up the childish ways. And then the second is, identify a childish way that you need to give up. There's a certain attitude that you have, a certain tendency, a certain pattern, where you realize, you know, that, that's really, that's just childish. Before God, just call it out like it is. And He meets you right where you are. And God is a Father. And He knows how to teach us how to be men. And so maybe you just identify that. And God will help you get, get past it. So I encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray. And the band's going to, we're going to lead through another song. And then the, the offering basket's going to come by. You can drop those completed connection cards in there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, giving us instruction that actually shows us the people that we're supposed to be. Uh, we don't have to please um, ourselves or anyone else, but we can actually please you because you've given us this is the picture of who we're supposed to be. And I, I, I thank you, God, that you are a God of clarity. And as we walk with you more and more, even in the circumstances we are not sure how to deal with or face, you actually do show us the kind of people we're supposed to be. And I just pray for all the men here today. God, thank you for making us how you've made us. And thank you for wiring us how you've wired us. God, help us to be the men that take initiative and bear responsibility. And God, help us to grow the character that does please you. Forgive us when we focus on outward appearance or when we focus on achievements that are trivial. God, help us to achieve the things that actually please you and just give us the energy to not be passive, but to have a firm grip on all that you've given us. And so we, we ask for your help. And God, we thank you also for the women that are here. Help the women to know how to encourage the men in their life. And God, help us to be the people that, that you've designed us to be. So I thank you, God, for the clarity you provide in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.